Hello, and thanks for clicking on Very British Futures. I'm Gareth Preston, and each episode I'm looking at a British science fiction series from the archives. Today is our first look at a programme from the 90s, ITV's alien conspiracy miniseries, The Uninvited. Joining me to talk about paranoia, eerie white eyes and cosy catastrophes are two friends of mine, John Isles and Nikki Smalley. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello. John Isles is a writer, director, producer and occasional actor as one part of an amateur short filmmaking team that has won several awards. He has written solo and co-written with Charles Octoloni short stories published by Big Finish. Nikki Smalley is a software engineer for the DWP and an actor, performing in theatre and appearing on both UK and US television. The Uninvited was broadcast on ITV in 1997 in four episodes. The initial idea came from Leslie Grantham, who originally proposed it as an ongoing series to the BBC. Eventually, it moved to ITV and was reworked as a self-contained miniseries. It was written by Peter Boker, a busy television writer, with credits from Casualty to Eric and Ernie, to his current success of The A Word. Equally well-experienced television veteran Norman Stone directed. The most notable telefantasy name on the credits belonged to producer Ruth Boswell, who also produced Shadows and The Tomorrow People, along with script editing Time Slip and Escape Into Night. The series is available on DVD and was released in 2003 by Carlton. So, John, how would you pitch the plot of The Uninvited to someone who hasn't seen it? Well, uh, Leslie Grantham had a dream. Um, Sorry. (laughs) He said that it had... I have a vague memory of seeing something on like TV AM or something like that, an interview with him, a little behind the scenes. Not sure if I dreamt that or not myself. But essentially, his idea was from this village that had really disappeared off the off the coast into the sea, erosion, that kind of thing. So his idea was, what could cause a village to sink into the sea? And what if all the people in that village survived? Why Why would that happen? And so from that, he had the idea of, oh, they're being replaced. And and, and from there, you've got something that's a kind of conspiracy thriller. Have the people been replaced? Have their experiences changed them? Are they the same people? And and took it from there, really. So we enter the story on, a, on the fictional point of a, a retired photojournalist yes. called, called Steve Blake. That's right. He sees he sees uh, a car crash. He sees the driver before it happens. The car explodes in a fireball, and he goes to see the guy's widow the next day and finds him alive and well. And he also happens to be the head of British nuclear power, slightly. <laughs> so, so the question is: Is this some sort of powerful elite? Because this and similar accidents are being investigated by a high-ranking, shadowy police superintendent who just happens to be one of the survivors from this village that mysteriously vanished into the sea. Mm-hmm. He's played by Leslie Grantham. He has his reputation, I guess, of being a, a hard man from playing Dirty Dan and other characters. Well, he, reg- he regularly plays villains, doesn't he? Um... Mm, there's, there's no doubt Dirty Dan did sort of, sort of typecast it. He tried to kind of break out of it a bit and play characters who were at least... They were just, you know, they weren't bad. They were just a little bit tasty, you know. But well, he uh, to be Blake, didn't he? In 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 Uninvited, he wanted to be the the hero character, but uh, obviously ITV or or, or, uh, or well, he could have even been back when it was still. Uh, mm. they, they just decided he'd be better as the villain, so he had to go with that. But mm. perhaps, perhaps he was considered too old to be the lead in this kind of. Well, I was going to say action, but it's a thriller. Yeah, there is, there are, there is action in it, 
but uh, it, yeah, it is possible ITV thought he was just uh, too old or perhaps too well-established playing sinister characters that's for uh, for the audience to get behind him. Because what's interesting is that when it was originally proposed, it was much more in the mould of The Invaders, the US 60s TV series. I was going to bring that up later, but you're right. It, it is that Im- embedded in, in, in the system because... The survivors of a village have become MPs. They're on boards of, of businesses and, and other high-profile um, roles in society, aren't they? I'm actually quite pleased that uh, it didn't go down that path because the trouble with the invaders and similar things is that... Um, they never ended. <laughs> exactly. They become. <laughs> they can quickly become a bit repetitive because you know the one thing the hero can't do is sort of prove his case and uh, expose the aliens because that's the end of the series if he does that. Uh, and it's one of the reasons I'm not actually that fond of The Invaders, uh, despite it has good qualities. It's got uh, Roy Finnis, it's got terrific uh, music and mood, and I like the little mm. gimmicks like... Uh, in fact, yes, but we might move on to this a little later on about uh, the aliens in this series have have relatively little in the way of gimmicks. Mm. Whereas uh, Invaders, they had a little finger stuck out permanently, didn't they? That was it. That was the, that was the bit you were, you were waiting to see. But, you know, if you walked around with a teacup and saucer all the time, you'd never know. <laughs> with, with Birch and that, you do get that feeling that... Um, the, um, maybe it's a bit early to talk about, I don't know, but the, the aliens, and because the, the, there's nothing obviously alien about them they feel a bit underdeveloped story-wise um i know when when i because i've never seen the uninvited the first time around and in fact um un, until you mentioned it i've had actually not heard of it before which i was quite surprised about um and uh, when i watched it by the time i got to the end and i thought I'm not quite sure what the old aliens were about. I, I have any idea what they want because I mean the the stories is is not you know new. It is like you said the invaders or invasion of body snatchers. You know it's been done before, but the aliens themselves I weren't quite sure what what they were like or I couldn't try and imagine what they were like. It is striking that after four episodes, the the aliens are still pretty mysterious there's lots of questions and you can either take that as enigmatic or you can describe it as underdeveloped i think it's a bit of both because Mm. i think in some ways they're trying to create atmosphere aren't they by Mm. by 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 sort of i mean they set up how it's like is this a human conspiracy is steve blake going nuts you know it's it's kind of slightly trying to be ambiguous but i think we find out in the first episode that there is something up and it can't be just humans can it from all the publicity i mean you know leslie grantham is the face of the series he's on the mm. dvd cover he's on the book cover it's him with the white eyes you know so despite being like co-lead or third billing you know he's all over it i don't know if that's his ego making up for not playing the lead but <laughs> You know, and from what I recall of the trailers, because, you know, this this is quite a while now, I'm sure a white-eyed shot must have been in in the trailers. Do you remember at all, Gareth? I can't actually remember a trailer for it. I did watch it at the time, because uh, mm. I remember there was a feature on it in, I think it was the Radio Times, and it was kind of ITV yeah. is making a big investment in drama this autumn, and mm. we've got all these, and it was one, four big drama series starting at the same, all about yeah. the same time. And the Uninvited was the one I noticed because it was the science fiction one. Well, well, uh, of course, we, we grabbed onto whatever we could in the world of years, didn't we? We we did. And in fact, Even we'll, Crime we'll, Traveller. <laughs> <laughs> Even Crutcher, we <laughs> shall move on to yeah, thinking about uh, the world, the so-called. Well, if you're a Doctor Who fan, you I, I know. I'm sorry, just years. you know. Uh, <laughs> but um, but I think it is a question. We'll come to it a little later on about the whole what 
uh, the 90s were like for British science fiction. Mm. Um, going back to the aliens, it, it's interesting that we don't really, for a start, we don't even really realize, know if they've come from another planet or if yeah. they've somehow been they've been buried somewhere in the earth and they've been reawakened well or... we we find we find out that they uh they're from an environment similar to prehistoric earth with mm. high levels of carbon low level of oxygen and so the characters we see someone carrying around these inhalers that i presume have carbon in them rather than oh carbon dioxide i should say uh, because our options too much for them. The the bit where Blake and Melissa, Melissa, I think specifically, she goes to visit uh, one of the survivors who's an old lady with Alzheimer's who was also replaced. And so when she was copied, she had the Alzheimer's. And so her alien has got mixed up memories and doesn't know if she's a human or an alien. And she talks about we can't breathe your air or share mm. your air, something like that. And, and obviously, if we go further on to the end of it, when they sabotage, they, they do a Chernobyl on most of the world's nuclear power stations, they they want to turn the planet's atmosphere into our own, into their own. Mm. Uh, and, you know, they're thriving off the fact that we've reached this global warming stage or whatever, where we're polluting our air deliberately. So it's perfect for them to come and take over. Yeah, I suppose a bit of social commentary there. And of course, well, that's also how. Um, leading on from that, that's how it ends as well, in the sense of uh, Blake smashes the pipe and blows all that oxygen in the faces, which yeah. which kills them all. What's interesting is that in 1995, they had tried to bring back the invaders, uh, revive it with Scott Bakula in the lead. And the general overall theme of that is that the aliens were trying to poison the atmosphere and were trying to create more pollution to make it more like their planet, which yeah. is a a curious parallel line there. Was it the 90s when we became more aware of global warming then? I think that could have been the case that the writers, they were pulling from the, you know, drawing from the same well mm. on that. Yeah. The other element that um, the, the Uninvited is very much in the tradition of is, is John Wyndham and a whole stream of kind of English mm. science fiction. I was wondering, uh, Nikki, if you uh, had any thoughts on, yeah. on that. Yeah, I did. I mean, obviously, anything like that, um, even to some degree, Invasion of Body Snatchers or whatever, you get that Midwich Cuckoo's vibe, mm. I think. And uh, I, I mean, also, it, it's quite interesting, the uninvited, in the sense that you have that midwich cuckoo feeling of this little village, but you never actually see it because it's already destroyed. But you've you've already got that mental image in your head. Uh, mm. I think of, of Sweet Hope and what it must have been like. But obviously, this is five years down the line when the aliens have, have moved on and, and, and the plan's already in motion. Um, but what what I, I like about stuff like that is England is the best setting for it. Like America's done their own version of Village of the Damned and stuff like that, and obviously they have countryfied areas, but they're always large areas with ranches or farms and 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 uh, large bits of land that you can see. Where in England it tends to be a little village in the middle of nowhere with one road in and one road out. And all the buildings in the town create that claustrophobic atmosphere that really lends well to these type of things. Um, but but the, again, the uninvited is 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 sort of it's different because you only picture that in your mind, and then instead you get these beautiful beach uh, coastal scenes instead, and then a mixture as well of of the London city. Um, but yeah, very, very much uh, in the vein of, of John Wyndham, any, anything like anything like that, because he, it's got that atmosphere that, in, you know, the, the, it's your little town, your little village, you're closed off from everywhere, and then suddenly aliens have invaded, and and it's all going very strange. Yeah, great. No, I was going to say, um, I remember there was a, a an article in TV Zone uh, at the time, and Leslie Grantham said that. Uh, 
that they were trying to tell a good story, which was basically a good B movie, but mm. you know, a quality B movie. And and to some extent that is because people do, I suppose they still do think of Invasion of Body Snatchers or mm. or Village of the Damned uh, as, as a B movie, don't they? Um, mm. Or even yeah. Quatermass to some extent, Quatermass too. But then again, you know, it was Nigel Neal riffing off John Wyndham. Yeah, I think John Wyndham's influence on British science fiction mm. is is gigantic. It's as in, in, for Britain, I think it's a bit like Isaac Asimov in America in mm. terms of uh, the influence that he's had over other writers and bringing the strange sort of into present day conventional England. Yes. And, well, in many of his books. Uh, the Day of the Triffids is the most famous mm. one, obviously. And yeah. uh, The Crack of Wakes. Chucky is a good example. And uh, The Crack and Wakes, which are all these where Middle England gets uh, invaded by something unreasonable and alien. This is some, something that I noted. So the main character, the hero, is an ex-photojournalist. So he's mm. a professional. Roy Finnis and the Invaders is an architect. And I just wondered how, in most things, the, the lead character is a professional of some kind. I just mm. wonder, is that to reflect the middle-class nature of all the writers of all these things? Uh, or, or is it just that, that it has to be somebody that, that is respectable, who, who you think would be believed about there are aliens amongst us? I think it's a bit of a mixture of both things. And certainly, I think there is a part, and weirdly, I was just having this discussion... <laughs> Uh, earlier on today on in a wider context about how middle class or not television is and like, British television. Like and I think part of it is that a lot of the people who work in television are middle class. So they their their minds naturally go in that way of, as you say, professionals and yeah, like plus I, I can't think of many working class heroes in, in thrillers or, or science fiction really. It's true. It's hard to, to imagine alien. You can certainly imagine aliens coming in. Ah, that's that, that's not a, a great stretch to see aliens in a working class environment. But yeah, there is that element of you know if it was a postman or mm. you know some skilled factory worker who was aware of this conspiracy, you know he wouldn't even get mm. through the door of most yeah. of these places. Maybe that's why they have to be working. Uh, sorry, working professionals or middle class then. So they can at least be heard or dismissed by by the experts. Yeah, sorry. I, I was just thinking uh, uh, another reason I always thought that they always chose middle class or professional people is that if you assume someone's professional, you presume they're earning some kind of reasonable income. And if someone can go off all the time and do X, Y and Z, like jump on a train down to London and spend a wee bit because they're investigating something or whatever... I think it's that thing of would anyone question if if you got someone on a low skilled job who's perhaps getting low money, where, where they're getting the money from to travel here or whatever? It cuts all that questioning out and just it allows the story to just carry on because you don't. It's it's I know it sounds a daft thing, but it, it's 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 mm. like people might question that. Whereas if you go, oh well, he's he's a photographer, he's probably got a fair bit in bank. That's why he can have this time off and not work and. Mm. Jump up and down the country every two minutes. <laughs> so, so, so we need to pitch a sci-fi conspiracy thriller where the hero is an Ebby Stobart truck driver. <laughs> that would be a, a good choice. So, I so mean, he can travel, Nicky. Um, yeah. you know, no questions. <laughs> I was just thinking that you'll compare it to uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind film. Ah, he's working which, class, isn't he? He's working class. Yeah. And what happens to him when he starts chasing uh, aliens and UFOs? He he loses his job uh, yeah. within a few days. He's he's unemployed at it, and because he's a family man, it also brings chaos to his family and his family leaving. Whereas the character, a lot of the protagonists in this kind of show tend to be loners or unattached yes. as in the case here with steve where we he, he doesn't have any children he's uh he's got an ex who actually turns out to be an incredibly useful uh ex-wife because she's a new, because she's a newspaper editor and thus and is a very handy way of uh 
getting our hero into places. Uh, actually, I think I should say it. Usually I start off by saying, when did you first encounter the uninvited? <laughs> but uh, in this case, uh, it's a case of you both really watched it at my instigation. No, 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 no. I, I watched oh, no. it at the time. I had it on video. Ah. I, I recorded it and, and had it on tape for many years until I had to sadly dispose of my VHS tapes. Ah, that's interesting. Because funny enough, I taped it on video too. I think it's it goes back to that thing that there wasn't that much science fiction about. No, so uh, you know, it, it wasn't quite like wishing that I'd like it. I did genuinely like it, and I still do. But there's still something that's slightly underwhelming about it, and I can't quite figure out what. Maybe maybe it's because there's not enough mood or atmosphere. Maybe it's because we know from the beginning it definitely is aliens. You know, and the it's not as ambiguous mm. to us as a viewer as it is to the characters. To some extent. Sorry, go on. Sorry, no, I was going to say carry on, Nikki. I, I was just going to say, I think I think the, the trouble with it is, as we said near the beginning, is that um, clearly Leslie Grantham had a bigger plan in mind and then it's forced into these four episodes. So there's, there's like a rushed element to it. And when you actually think about the the plot elements it, it, there's parts that really fall down like obviously the sweep up sweep sweet hope sat again so like sweet hope falls into the into the sea and what you discover throughout the uh, in in the stories that um these aliens somehow got the villagers of sweet sweet hope into a church before they sunk it and then However, they take over the bodies. Uh, well, they don't take over the bodies because the bodies are still there, but they clone the bodies and the minds, um, and 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 that church has gone into the sea. Um, but then it's left there, and they, they're constantly persuading people to stay away from the sea because clearly they don't want anyone to discover it. Mm. But then Blake sneaks down there, takes the photos of the dead bodies in the church, and then suddenly they start blowing it up, and you just sort of think, why didn't you do this five years ago? I think it might have been booby-trapped because they said the initial explosion and the erosion that caused Sweet Hope to fall into the sea in the first place was from some unknown MOD ordnance dumped after the war. But that, A, could have been a cover for what happened, mm. uh, or also there genuinely were explosives. But then, you know, it's a reason for people not to go down and investigate and I think they just left a booby trap. So if anyone likes Steve Play it went down there, then you know they'd never get away with any evidence. Yeah, I quite I quite like that idea. Well, it's, uh, it's you, some you... really good imagery as well. The mm. skeletons in the church well, all gathered together. Yeah, well, I mean, he does need that scene because he's quite atmospheric. He's under the water, he's quite misty, and he discovers the bodies. And and he starts the penny starts dropping for him, even though he doesn't still quite believe it's aliens at that point. But he he accepts that it, what's happened is extremely sinister, and somehow these people have been replaced in some way. There was there were some other bits as well that thought because clearly he's not the first journalist to have investigated this either. Because um, Grant actually says to him at one point, um, "Oh, you you." You people always get to that bit as if, like, he's been asked about Sweet Hope before by journalists. Mm. But, yeah. but then you assume then that these journalists have either been maybe renewed. We don't know. We've never seen a renewed journalist in the cast. I, I don't no. know if there'd necessarily be a point for it. Whether they've been killed or swayed off in some other way. But then they allow Blake to carry on and. It's it's not quite explicit, but you you assuming that, or I assumed by the end of it that the reason they allow Blake to continue is because they're well on the way with the plan and they're wanting a patsy and they're mm. making the patsy, but it still it it just didn't quite flow well for me as I watched it. I kept thinking, well, if they've had all these people before, why the why him? You know, why specifically him compared to anyone else they've had before and. And some of the things where they sort of let it slide, and then other ways I don't like the um, the, the you mentioned the old lady with Alzheimer's, which actually I thought were a really mm. interesting idea. Actually, the idea that that, that this uh, alien has, has copied the mind of a person with Alzheimer's, and as a result, it's mm. captured their personality. But 
they, they end up killing that character because they're afraid she's going to say something. But you've got to argue who's going to be, who's going to believe uh, a batty old lady well, in a nursing home talking about aliens? Steve you know? Blake. <laughs> well, Steve Blake, but what does it really matter? Do you know what I mean? Because they know they're going to make him some kind of patsy anyway. And, it, and he's never going to get any evidence out of it, really, that's going to break it all open. Oh, that's how ah. I felt when I watched it. But you're right, Nick. There isn't much point to them killing her other than the fact she's a slight risk. But maybe, and this is just convenience for storytelling, is by killing her, we now we're shown that they're all linked. So if something bad happens to one, it happens to them all. Yeah. Because when she dies, the others start having nosebleeds, spasms, and, and that gives our our heroes the clue that uh, that they're linked. So, so you're right. Mm. It's, from a story point of view, it doesn't make much sense. It's just kind of there. But again, I really like the idea that they've copied the Alzheimer's and everything, so that the aliens controlling the alien intelligence in her body is fighting the Alzheimer's. You know, and and they mm. are literally in two minds. And they are using Steve. They say they, they put like part of her gates puts part of his intelligence into Steve so it's like he's bugged so to speak isn't he? Yes. So they know exactly where he is and they, they, they use him to root out that well how far Melissa's getting with her investigation you've got the pathologist um, mm. you know to find people who are a threat to them but mm. then again you, you've got this secret military guy who who is like oh great we've been watching the aliens but then actually he is one of the aliens you know <laughs> i wonder did he replace somebody who who generally was onto them mm. and they're running their own investigation into themselves to uh to run interference yeah one of the curious things about this replacing of people is that we never really find out much about it um so we don't know uh, whether these aliens are like pod people uh, that grown grown like that or if yeah. these aliens are natural shape changers i mean we for example, we don't uh, know if if once an alien takes on a form that's it there's they're sort well, of stuck at... that's an interesting point Gareth, because um going back to the woman with alzheimer's if if it were a case that they could renew into someone else why does it not get her to renew so you assume that it's a one-time deal for whatever reason Mm. Yeah, I think we can assume, thinking about it, that it is a one-time deal because you've got those two alien children as well. They, they don't age, those children. No. Mysterious. And in fact, I slightly wondered, uh, how do these two alien children spend their day? You know, are, are they <laughs> going to are they going to school? Or if it's a private school, are they behind the scenes are they just like doing all the adult you know are they Maybe. are they there controlling stuff and operating the operating the consoles or are they behaving more like children uh, or are they really frustrated because they're stuck in these feeble little bodies yeah like... prob probably uh i mean in the, the novelization that goes into it a bit i don't know how oh, much of it right I don't know how much of it was in the script or, or whether Paul Cornell that wrote it just extrapolated it himself, but he he says in the novel that the aliens are a kind of gaseous form, so they don't have bodies of their own, and oh. and so these copies that they make at the time of killing the originals means that they copy the intelligence and the form with their own bit of intelligence shoved in there. And then they're kind of stuck in that body, then it's now theirs. Uh, and like you said, the children don't change at all. You know, five years later, they're the same age. And and maybe they just don't go to school because, and this is something you're probably going to bring up, is that our parents are now running the British equivalent of Microsoft. And, and so they can afford to not go to, to public school. And so they're never seen. And it's always assumed they're privately educated. Yeah, so I was. I mean, it's interesting this depiction of a computer company, Zentex, which but... sounds like something else. To be fair, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it does. It just seems like yes. Yeah, but it's, uh... it's it's interesting how we're we're kind of on the cusp here. Ninety six, ninety seven. It was it was shown of you know um, we've got an internet cafe as if it's a novelty, and obviously mm. there were novelties. You know, I've I've used at least a couple of internet cafes at the time, so I can relate to that. 
poems. Yeah, I had a rush of nostalgia when they mm. went into the internet cafe because uh, I, I I remember I remember those and and going in those. I was never one of the gamers. I was no. sort of like those people who was playing Wolfenstein or Doom or whatever on on. But uh, just using just using the internet and scaring it about and that that was a bit a bit Proustian that mm. moment. Can, can, can I just say, I actually got nostalgic seeing the Ford Sierra being used as a taxi. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, it's funny how nostalgia you can get something that seems relatively um, feel. It doesn't, the 90s, <laughs> this is probably a thing between old people <laughs> like you and me, John. It, it is, they still feel uh, recent, don't they? <laughs> yeah, it does. And plus, uh, and it's a, it's not a chain coffee shop either. It's an indie coffee shop. <laughs> Ending, uh, yeah. yeah, that kind of tickled me. In fact, just looking at that software, that nineties software, that's you felt quite again, just just quite nostalgic. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, sort of like the internet used to look like this. Um, yeah, exactly, it's kind of DOS based still with, with a little bit of a, a Windows element in it. I, I like recently, um, I had a conversation with a colleague who's moving to another government department after 31 years and she says she always remembers going to a um a training course which was called the internet what is it and how can we use it in dwp and that that sort of really amused me that that and, she, <laughs> and they got a chance to use a computer and the internet and she, and and she would just sat there thinking what can i search for <laughs> <laughs> yeah nikki uh, as a as a software uh what What's your job title again? Sorry, I'm a software, I'm a software engineer. So, as a software engineer, yeah. how do how the scenes of the, the hacking and and the other software look to you? <laughs> is, is it believable for the mid nineties, um, or, or is it, it just too fantastical? It's it's not believable then. It's not believable now, as as often the case when they try to use IT in TV shows, with perhaps the exception of Mr. Robot. Yeah, I mean the fact as well that we could only hack in six-minute intervals. Oh yeah, and, and that that really made me laugh. As if you know that would somehow game anywhere. And how long would that take? Over you know, you might be at it for months, wouldn't I, you? I, I, mm. Well, yeah, I think it'd take him three minutes for the modem to to dial up, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Particularly as well the fact that it's an, it's software developed by aliens. So you've got well, assuming they're aliens, mm. yes, uh, and you assume that it's really advanced. You just think, God, he could have been at that forever until Steve Blake turned up. And even then, I don't really, I'm not really sure how how he got round it. But yeah, now it's ri- ridiculous terminology as usual. The other thing interesting looking at that uh, the whole uh, Zentex episode is uh, that the head of Zentex, if you were doing that now, you would the default setting is now young tech billionaire. <laughs> Yes. It's a bit, you know, a bit like Elon Elon Musk. Uh, whereas in in this version, in this earlier time, he's just a kind of grey-haired family man. Eamon Boland played that character. In this uh, a, a, a lot of guest star roles in lots of programs, ranging from the 60s onwards. I have to say, what what I found about the show, since we're talking about cast members, is on the whole, I, I was quite happy with the with the cast and the performances mm. with exception and I, i'm a bit disappointed at this the two female leads so i did like the pathologist i thought she was really good yes but, um his ex-wife i just found her a bit too uh, i mean again obviously the divorced and you've got to have that bitterness there but she was a bit too harsh throughout the Throughout, throughout the piece for me, and then when she when she eventually kisses him, um, mm. uh, you sort of think, well, where did that come from? Because the, you know, fair enough, she's helping him, and you could and you mm. could argue that's her bit of warmth that she's still got feelings for him, but it doesn't come across. And I did feel that Paul Cornell, uh, Cornell's book was excusing her a lot of the time, like he he would come up with a preamble of what she was thinking, and her head was all very nice, and then he'd say something like. But it came out a bit too sharp, um, and it was yeah. like the way she performed it. Um, and then Leah Williams as Melissa, um, obviously she was supposed to be that librarian character, but mm. again she played the mousy librarian well. But I didn't really get the sexual tension that that was supposed to be there that led up to them um, no. her 
like becoming a, a, a thing. It, it felt really underdone. But again, does it suffer from just being five episodes as opposed to a series, which, yeah, you know, it, it planned to be? It's possible, but but you're right. She, you know, Melissa, um, Leah Williams is a bit underwhelming. Um, mm. You know, the strongest one is Carolyn Lee Johnson as a pathologist who mm. was um, uh, Lena Henry's wife in, in Chef. Mm, um, she is very good. Remember that? She is. Yeah. She's she is. In fact, you almost want to see more of that character. Yeah. In fact, she'd been Blake in, in, in terms of the story. If, she, if, if she'd like discovered the conspiracy through the pathology and then investigated, I think that's... She's a professional. Too. Yeah, she's a professional. Mm, that's true. <laughs> I actually agree with you. I think that would have immediately made the series more more interesting because also she's got more to lose in a way because she's mm-hmm. got her standing, her professional, you know, as, as a coroner and as a doctor. I think the stakes are a bit higher for her than they are for an independent photojournalist. Mm. Well, the thing uh, with Blake as well is that he's, he's sort of already lost his career to an extent. You mm. know, he's had a good photojournalist career and then he, he's had this mental health issue as a result of uh, his time in, in Bosnia. Um, and, and it's tarred him to some, de- to some degree. But mm-hmm. in saying that, I did like Douglas Hodges' performance in, in mm. the role. It wasn't quite conventional when you look at him. Like when he first started, I thought, oh, that's not quite what I imagine for a lead role. And I, I appreciate that in England, when we have lead actors, <laughs> they don't quite look like lead American actors. I had that image of the American hero, I suppose, in my head automatically. Mm. And you see Douglas Hodges, not ugling by any means or anything like that. Or, you know what I mean, though, don't you? It's like, yeah. you know what I mean? It, if you're listening, Douglas. Yeah, sorry, Douglas. <laughs> but, but but he's got like a, a rugby player look about him. Uh, mm. I think he's got that, and but he, he is really good in the role. I, I I enjoyed his performance. It was just the two female leads that didn't quite match up with him um, when they worked alongside him, which was a shame. Yeah. I I kind of disagree a little bit because I I am a big fan of uh, Sylvester Latuzel as his ex-wife Joanna Ball. I've, I've seen her in loads loads of stuff. I, I, I quite like her character. I think she gets most of the funny line. I was actually surprised mm. how funny it is in places. There's some quite nice yeah. witty exchanges. Oh, well, I, I agree with you, Gareth. I've seen her in many things and enjoyed her performance. It was in this one. Um, I didn't enjoy her performance in this, but I agree with what you were saying about the dialogue. And it, and it wasn't just her. I, I don't know if you noticed that, because I've made a note of it here, that... Um, particularly if it's any sort of introduction or two characters coming together in a new scene, it seems to start with some humorous line before going on with the story. Oh. And in fact, every scene, it didn't matter what the actors were, admittedly they were more noticeable um, with, with uh, Joanna's character, but it, every character seemed to have the, those little wisdoms at the beginning of a, of a, of a new scene, which uh, I thought was quite interesting, but I, I always think comedy does work well in in a thriller horror, if you can start with comedy, you 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 buy the uh, audience's attention more, and then when you hit them with the thrills or the scares or whatever, it, I think it has a bigger impact. That, oh yeah, that, that that that's true. I I can think of one example, like you said, Nikki. When when Steve first goes to London to see Joanna, he has that witty exchange with the newspaper seller on the street corner. Yeah. So, so you're right, there is a lot of humour in it. I think that that's a British thing. It is, because it's quite sort of Hitchcockian in some ways, that kind of mixing up humour and drama. And in some ways, this is quite a... It's a man-on-the-run story to mm. some extent. But uh, certainly, going back to your earlier point, uh, Nikki, I, I think I'd agree with one of the weaker aspects of this is the romance mm. between Steve and uh, Melissa. It it seems mostly to happen because they're the two leads, really, <laughs> more more than anything else. Now, if it were a longer series and, and they were doing it and, and, it, and it were a case of they've gone through all this mishap together and then they become a couple, it makes sense. But in that very short time frame, it just feels forced. We didn't actually talk about the writer in any. Oh, in- we didn't, and we ought to. How do you feel about Peter Boker? Well, um, 
I, I, it didn't a name that stuck out to me, even even when I actually watched the show, shamefully enough, uh, because as you mentioned in the opening for this show, he wrote Eric and Ernie, which I was in. Um, you were? I, were, were I, you Eric or Ernie? No, 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 no. I was, <laughs> I was, I was only uh, uh, an extra in, multi, in multiple uh, scenes, and I got to be with Victoria Wood, which was quite interesting. Um, but in terms of... Uh, the, this and, and looking at him up in IMDb is quite interesting that prior to The Uninvited he mainly wrote, wrote dramas like Peak Practice and Casualty yeah. uh, so I can understand why he lent himself well to writing this for IT, ITV and, and sort of yeah. uh, you know that that morse because it, it you know, even though that we talked about the white, we you know we talked about the aliens have white eyes. That is the only visible alien thing about them. It could, it could just mm. be take the alien element out and still do it. It could just be like a government conspiracy or a yeah. secret organization or whatever. Yeah, uh, I, I like to think that um, the reason that Zentex was dominating the computer industry is because they it had some kind of alien. They were using their knowledge, knowledge yeah. to, yeah. to to make uh, the best possible computers and thus take a, monopolize the market. Well, because they, they do, don't they? They shut everything down. Yeah. Sorry, carry on. The US. US no, sorry, I just, carry sorry. on. I do, I do find it interesting that, that afterwards he, he doesn't seem to dip his toe back in the sci-fi pool again. No. Uh, no. Even though he has great success with, uh, he did Blackpool, for example, and mm. uh, the, the A-Word and stuff like that. So he, he has some great writing credits to his, to his name. Um, mm. But obviously sci-fi is not something he wants to return to. <laughs> it's funny, in that TV Zone article, it says that Peter Balker went off and read the Midwich Cuckoos and other things like it. So he really m- must have got into the mood, as you mm-hmm. say. But but yeah, may- may- maybe he just didn't have aspirations for science fiction, but they chose him because of, of his reputation for drama. I think that was the case. I think they say they, they thought he was very good at writing characters and relationships, mm. which uh, certainly is a theme when you look through, as uh, as Dick was saying. Um, I mean, Blackpool has, you could argue Blackpool has a certain fantastical element to it. Is that but, magical uh, realism? Yeah, it's more magical realism going on in there, as much as any musical is yes. i mean it's all it's obviously it's templated more dennis potter than yes. any kind of uh fantasy yes. uh series but uh but yeah he's gone on to have a very creditable uh career with one thing i was when i was i, I watched this with my partner tina and uh and she made the comment that this feels like a midsummer murder and oh, one thing yeah. Yeah, and certainly looking at it, I was kind of thinking, this feels so much like an ITV murder mystery. Well, it's it's rural England, isn't it? I suppose that's... I don't I think, think it's just that. I think it's the way it's filmed. I mean, when that when he first started, Bear um, Man had not seen it the first time around. Even though I would have watched stuff like that when I was 11, so I don't know why I missed it. But anyway, when, when he first started... Uh, after the little bit with Blake and you and you see um, the guy in the posh car listening to classical music, it was mm. like watching an episode of Mars. I was mm. John Thor to be in that car. Um, <laughs> it does have that, that feel, definitely. Nineties ITV sort of cop drama, mm. uh, which you know is is immediately recognisable. I think. I suppose that, that's why they did that because that's what sold. At the time, mm. that 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 was the formula, so to speak. If you wanted it. to be on on TV, and I don't know if skipping ahead yet to nineties TV being embarrassed to do sci-fi, but but you're right that that's how it looks and feels to get in the the casual viewer. I think there's definitely a, a case of that. That I think this is a, a kind of science fiction they feel that they could sell because it's packaged mm. so much. Yeah, like any of those. Uh, like Morse or the Ruth Rendell mysteries or any of those mm-hmm. kind of Sunday night dramas, it has definitely that got that that look to it. Um, it's also another striking thing about it is that um, it's very 
going back to what we were saying about working class and middle class, it feels very middle class in terms of there's only one person doesn't have a nice detached house in this, uh, and and and, the, and he has a specific story reason for not having a nice detached house, but everybody else has got lovely houses in this uh, series. All all the interiors are like straight out of an interior design magazine. Everything looks it, very yeah. polished. It, it was all um, filmed around Norfolk. I mean, there must have been some element of let's try and select to America as well, and so show off the countryside. That's a good point. Yeah, there probably is that sense of yes, internationally, this is what Britain looks like. It's it's nice, polite, polite people who live in sort of like pleasant in pleasant surroundings or very trendy surroundings. Yeah. In the case of uh, Joanna, of course, she, she's a. High-ranking newspaper editor or something, isn't she? So, so, so naturally, she has what looks like—I don't know if it's a breakfast bar or her kitchen—that's kind of mm. in this raised podium in the middle of her apartment. She's probably so, got an apartment in the Docklands, hasn't she? It has that kind of Docklands, that sort of bugs look to it, where it's all shiny and crow. Which I suppose is another—it's another sort of bit of coding of saying. Whereas uh, Melissa, it's all sort of cardigans and yes. rural countryside. Whereas Joanna, it's all sharp suits, yes. lots of chrome urban living to show a, a difference in their characters. I think um, as well, uh, maybe I'm jumping the gun a bit as well, but when I mentioned about uh, the guy in the car listening to classical music, um, yeah. The, the music in, in general, at first you think it has a very 90s, typical, slightly sim sound to it, um, with with that sort of, you know, those harsh sounds. But, but when you listen carefully to the to the music, it's got these beautiful uh, orchestral bits and a bit of choir type stuff, which mm. I quite, quite liked, but I did find it, it was quite repetitive. It, it did feel like that... One of those things where they, they just create one sound and then it's repeated throughout the entire thing. But uh, it, it was a lovely piece of music. Just going to agree with you, Nikki. It is very good, very haunting. But you're right, it's almost like they wrote three pieces and then just reused them constantly. I, I, you took the words out of my mouth. Uh, Martin Kisco, who wrote the music, did a splendid job. That's that lovely choral mm. sort of alien type one. Since the strings going under it, the bum, 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 bum. yeah, it's a lovely piece, but boy, you do hear it a lot. They they like. they, uh, they release a soundtrack. <laughs> I'm I, I, I'm curious I to know how long it was and what's on it. Well, there's only yeah, there's only three bits of music. What, what what do they what do they put on it? Just slightly different tempos of music of those three themes. Although Gareth, um, I'm sorry if it sounds sacrilegious, but that's almost what we did with Robin of Sherwood. <laughs> oh no, I, I I'm going to defend I'm Robin <laughs> the Legend by Clannad. Though no, there are very distinct. That's a, that. Those are ten very distinct tracks. Oh, oh of of course. I I love Clannad's <laughs> music for that series, but it's just you know it's you know battle is is used in every episode, you know. But that I agree. Yeah, there are certain bits that they use. Yeah, you're going to hear battle during the fight scene. Every you're gonna episode. Marion. Marion's theme. Her, Robin's theme. Yeah. Hearn's uh, theme. So but, so uh, it, so it's an old trope. But it's more noticeable in this because there's only definitely. four episodes. Of course it is. And especially when you're watching them in close, you know, fairly yeah. quickly after one after the other. Yeah, inevitably, when this was, when this came out in 1997, uh, it was described as a British X-Files. And there's yeah. no doubt the X-Files had a huge influence on 90s science fiction. Definitely. So how, how do you think this this sort of compares? Because that's obviously the show that they're sort of looking at. It's when it's it's not even close. No. You, you, you know, obviously it's just advertising buzzwords, uh, really, isn't it? Yeah, spiritually they're very different 
sorts of shows because um whereas the x-files apart from the fact that the x-files is largely takes place at night it seems <laughs> or generally in moody foggy places um x-files has a sort of general paranoia about the whole world and everybody and whereas this is a very specific plan there's no suggestion really that all all of the british government has been taken over by the aliens it's no. just a small column a fifth column within the establishment exactly but i think we can or at least i can forgive that because you know you want to promote and sell your series attach it to the nearest star more or less you know mm. uh, but uh, i don't know if people were disappointed i don't remember what the viewing figures might have been like at the time i must admit i haven't looked at the viewing figures i haven't really talked about viewing figures really because I, I i mean you know some of us remember watching it but mm. you know others it's um it's not without merit the series it's just kind of um just forgotten <laughs> yeah well, I, I, I think spiritually sorry sorry nick I was just going to say a purposeful pun. Uh, they couldn't have got that high enough because it wasn't renewed. Oh. Uh, <laughs> they, they weren't yeah. invited to do a second series. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't invited. <laughs> well, although it, it had a, a proper ending anyway, didn't it? But, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, uh, I mean, if, although I not if... in the book, interestingly. I think because in the book they have, they have that extra scene at the end, don't they? The, well, oh. there's one that survived. Oh yeah, the, the little boy, yeah. because presumably his body's different or something. You know, he's still a, a copy and an alien. You're right. There's that little and and, and, little... and they say he's he feels like he's getting messages from somewhere up above, as if the saying, others, yeah. he's still connected to the aliens that are or creatures that mm. are in somewhere else. Yes. Um, so yeah. Ooh, that is really interesting, and now you've raised it, I think we'll we'll move on to uh, the novelization by Paul Cornell. Um, it's felt very well written. I mean, I'm a fan of his from reading his Doctor Who New Adventures and uh, a couple of his original science fiction novels that that came from from the success of that. It's it's well written. Um, he does give some background to to the characters and situations. Like I said earlier about, you know, the the human bodies are copies with the human memories there and personality, but it's an alien intelligence in control and the creatures are some kind of gaseous entity. That's how we can enter these copied bodies or um, or control things, you know. Um, mm. and, and like Nicky said, he, he tries to justify or explain why Joanna's so harsh, you know, mm. so it's... It's good as a book on its own, but having read it directly after re-watching the series, it just felt like I was just going through the same story again. Yeah, but it, I'm sure it, if I left a longer it, gap, then I probably would appreciate it more. It, it didn't miss a beat, did it really, in terms of that? It, it, it felt like you were watching, mm. watching the show. I think the interesting elements were the internal thoughts of the characters. Mm. Uh, because yeah, that worked. You don't get them on the screen, and and I'd be interested uh, to know where he derived some of it from in terms of you know did he did he ask Peter Bowker? Yeah, exactly. It? Because that's what I was hoping from the book. I was I was hoping to get that I felt was missing from the series, but I don't think it completely satisfied me. To no. I wanted it, but it it's very much if you want a novelization of of a TV program. Mm. That that's what you that's what you've got. He's it, it, covered everything. Um, it, yes. You would have thought you'd watched it by the end. Of course. Oh, and of course, the obligatory colour photo section in the middle. Yes. Mm. Which um, were a bit of a. Sp- I don't know about you, but I think we're a bit of a spoiler because the last image is the one of the of Leslie yes. Gaspham, and it it looks like he's dead. It, so, it is. It's from that last scene. You're right. Yeah. So, like, if you saw, I mean, you could assume that maybe he's just injured. Maybe yes. if you look back. But if I, if I had read that book and seen that picture, I thought, oh, so he dies at the end. It covers everything. It shows all the leads. There's some nice photographs. I'm quite um, fond of. Uh, for, I, I went through a phase. I used to be really into novelizations. I sort of collected mm. every novelization, uh, especially of, of a sci, anything that was a sort of sci-fi film. Yeah, I could get behind. So, and most of them did have that nice little 
eight-page yes. section in them. I've been quite quite fond of those. And in fact, I think it might be interesting to uh, talk about sort of British sci-fi in the nineties. Well, British TV yes. sci-fi to be uh, specific. Course, you almost yes. want to say what British TV sci-fi in the nineties, but it, it, it seemed it, to be always be kids' television that still did sci-fi and very good sci-fi. To be fair. I, I made a list, Gareth. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, let, let's have a hear. So, so hear the ones I remember and, and and will have watched at the time, right? So we've got Crime Traveller, 97, forget that. But we got Bugs from 95, and that lasted four yeah. years and 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 almost, almost didn't get a fourth year. Now, Bugs, that was, what was that? That was a kind of, I know we got Brian Clemens involved to try and say, look, it's kind of Avengers-ish. We'll try and get that tone, but again, it, it was a very 90s thing, wasn't it? Mm. Uh, and then you've got uh, The Uninvited, of course. And then you've got Invasion Earth, which oh yes, which really did play down in all the interviews with the cast and the crew, the sci-fi elements, and say, look, it's realistic, you know, because it, as you said, they became embarrassed. All the TV stations, it all comes from them, them wanting Doctor Who to compete with Star Trek or Star Wars. That just permeated mm. into t- TV execs working on all channels, didn't it? It's true. It did seem to affect. I think possibly what happens is you had a lot of TV execs who'd grown up or were teenagers in that kind of seventies, eighties, and they kind of, in their mind, they thought science fiction still looked like that, or at least mm. British science fiction. The, you know, the, it was the, the wobbly walls and, and stuff. The classic, the wobbly posters. walls. It's all a bit embarrassing and yeah. sort of hammy. And, and we're doing prestige sort of a exactly. film drama. drama. You know. mm, so I mean, it comes out in that uh, interview that you quoted earlier. You know, Leslie Grantham says, you know, we're making a, what I hope is a, is a decent B movie. Exactly. And, at least okay. they're admitting the sci-fi anyway. That is something. Uh, I mean, to be honest, I actually agree with Leslie Grantham on this one. This, this is quite a B-movie sort of plot. In mm-hmm. some, Although they've dressed it up to look like a nice prestige ITV crime series. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a fairly B-movie style plot, yes. I would agree, about aliens taking over humans and our... Uh, and the one hero that nobody believes. We've seen this story, you know, quite a bit yes. over the years in in various films. But um, yeah, there was a general sense that that science fiction was something that that, that wasn't popular. That was very mm. niche, which seems uh, very strange actually when. Yes. You know, science fiction became huge. And I, I think a lot of the interesting television science fiction in the 90s is, is happening in America. Yes, unfortunately. That, uh, that was it. We kept thinking we've got to compete with American imports. To some extent, yeah. So, I mean, even Doctor Who, it's a case of, oh, we'll go and we'll make it, we'll do a deal mm. with an American TV studio. And so make sure that Doctor Who looks like an American show. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, no, no carry, carry on, Dickie. I've been waffling for a while. <laughs> so I, I was going to say I have a, I have a bit of a different take on it because obviously I'm, I'm, I'm a bit younger, but... I have a different take on it because growing up in the, in the 90s, I didn't, I didn't feel... For me, there wasn't a lack of sci-fi because I think a lot of it was in children's television. I think CI, uh, CITV and and, and uh, the BBC were still making, and not even just sci-fi in a in a, a very cartoony way, but the quite gritty, gritty stuff. Mm. Um, and also, we were getting um, Australian, New Zealand imports of a similar ilk. And then a few Americans as uh, uh, stuff as well, like Animorphs and and so on and so forth. So oh, yes. I think from a child in the nineties, I think you didn't really lose that science fiction element. Um, what did we have but, in John's TV? Um, was Dark I, Season was the nineties? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah I, I would agree that actually children's ITV had some of the most interesting British contributions. Uh, when did we do the Tomorrow People? 
That was that 95, wasn't it? That know. was, yes, that was 90s. There was Aliens and Family. Yes. Um, there were some lesser good ones, even though the last flight, because the other night I couldn't sleep and I, I ended up going down a wormhole uh, on the internet looking up Mike and Angelo, which was a oh, CITV yes. alien comedy, but it lasted for 11 years. What on earth as well? Oh, yeah, what on earth? And it was weird they were trying to get an American audience because they always had it that um, the child in it was American and come over to from to the UK. I never watched enough. So it was, it was quite quite weird. But, yeah, there were, there were a lot of it about in children's television. It was just uh, when you look back, and certainly when I looked back for this programme, I realised there weren't much... I think it's mid-90s when Britain starts dipping its toe. Mm. I think that's probably because, yeah, you'd had the success of the of the X-Files, but then um, you were having success of things like more fantasy series like Buffy and stuff. And because mm. that's coming over here and being, being popular and showing on BBC and what have you, I think they thought, well, we can start doing that type of stuff now. During the 90s, I think a lot of science fiction, like The Uninvited, it kind of gets dressed up as something else. You had, uh, there was Firstborn. Which oh, yes, is, I remember that. It is a science fiction. Uh, it is very near future. It's, it, I think it still qualifies as science fiction because it's dealing with genetic uh, engineering. Mm. Uh, they're trying to play it as, a realist, as realistically as possible. Was so, that the Stephen Gallagher one? Uh, oh, no, Chimera, and, Chimera and October later on as well. Mm, uh, does, I'm not sure if October was noughties. I could be wrong uh, there. If, I if, think it was late 90s. Well, another one I was thinking about, which is still one of my favourites, even though he only ever did one uh, series, uh, was Ultraviolet from 1998. I loved that. I, I loved Ultraviolet. Oh, yeah. I still class her as a science fiction show because even though he was clearly trying to build on uh, the Buffy success we've been about vampires, mm. the whole stories in it were science fiction. It was the you know, yes. it, it, and it was brilliant, well acted, well everything about it. But for whatever reason, it didn't it didn't last, unfortunately. Child four were interested in recommissioning, unfortunately, which is a shame. And that seems, yeah, it but, seemed amazing. I remember at the time, Ultraviolet seemed really like it was going to be the beginning of a new sort of yeah. like a generation of of british uh telefantasy because it, 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 it did yeah. it looked like it had learned a lot of lessons from america and mm-hmm. and combined it with the best of what we british do in in our yes. in our grit in our was, was and it, it really worked well well I'm, I'm trying to remember it took the scientific approach to vampirism Mm. So, like, mm. their, their guns had video cameras on and screens, so if they didn't see somebody on the screen, that meant they were a vampire. And, yeah. and the bullets had, had, like, carbon heads on it, so that's the equivalent of using a stake on them. But also, wasn't the plot that the vampires were going to pollute the Earth to, to make it uninhabitable for humans? That's and right. They, and they were going to keep some humans as a food stock. I think that might we might well return to Ultraviolet in a future episode, I think. No my no my number, Gareth. <laughs> Fair I shall you're at the top of the list talk about ultraviolet, definitely. I think we're coming round to the sort of wrapping up stage, I think. <laughs> yes. Talking about so, uh, ultraviolet. And <laughs> so I think I I will turn I shall turn to you, Nikki, first. And would you like to Look at some some closing thoughts, some summings up of what you feel about the uninvited. I think it's definitely worth a watch. Don't expect it to be amazing because it it isn't, and it's stuff you've definitely seen before. But it, there's some real interesting elements in that you you don't get in those other series. I think I mostly remembered what had happened, and you know it's not unmemorable. And like Nikki said, it, it's worth a watch, but. I wouldn't say, I don't think it's developed a cult following like some one-off series have. It's worth watching. It's it's well acted, you know, and, and, and it's well put together. And, you know, and, and it's an attempt to actually say, yes, we are science fiction, you know, to the point where there's a chase in a quarry. So, you know, it, it's, um, it, it's, it's legitimately science fiction, but it just slightly misses the mark somehow. And I don't know why. Maybe it is because, as you say, we're going for that 90s drama formula to make it acceptable to a mainstream audience. It's good, but it, it won't change your life. 
I, th- I think I would agree with you. I was struck watching it again how watchable it is. Mm. And but yeah, its main problem is in that TV Zone article. Even the makers are kind of listing all the things that it's similar to, mm. like the Invaders and Midwich Cuckoo, Midwich Cuckoos. Mm. So on one level, it's very watchable. It does play it very safe. It's got some nice touches in it. I've, we haven't really mentioned the white eyes in the end. I do think the white <laughs> eyes. I think the white eyes are a great, a great effect. And those moments when someone's eyes suddenly kind of flash white yeah. for a moment, it's quite an unsettling effect. It works very well. And, uh, you know, we didn't need the sticking out fingers in the end. The, the white it, eyes stood out enough for Leslie Grampin's face to be all over, all <laughs> over the merchandise, so to speak, <laughs> and publicity. Mm-hmm. It didn't get a cult following because... There's nothing distinctive about it, either as a an ITV thriller or as a British science fiction series. We need to start a fan club now. We need an appreciation <laughs> society for the uninvited, don't we? I'll build a website. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you very much to my guests, Nikki Smalley and John Isles, for taking the time to talk about The Uninvited. Thanks for having me, Gareth. Yes, thank you for inviting me to talk about The Uninvited. (laughs) Thanks a lot. And thank you for listening as well. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Goodbye. You've been listening to Very British Futures, where Nicky Smalley, John Isles and myself have been talking about The Uninvited. Music by Chattery Art. Produced by Gareth Preston. Follow us on Twitter at FuturesVery and find out more at GarethPreston.blog Next time we'll be taking a look at Max Headroom.